The scripture we will be going over today is Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of your gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may, not, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Fake it till you make it. Perhaps you've heard that expression. Fake it till you make it. On one hand, on the positive, uh, some people offer that as advice to try to make it in whatever circumstance you're in, the world, meaning just keep trying to do what um, you know, is right and then hopefully what is going on inside and what you're doing outside match one day and you're able to actually accomplish what you know, you're trying to set out to do. So on one hand, it, I, I see the, if we think of this advice charitably, uh, there's some good advice there. On the other hand, um, we could interpret this kind of negatively. Like, that's insincere. You know, you're, you're basically, yeah, you're faking it. And, you know, we want to see more integrity between who you are on the inside and what you're trying to do on the outside. Uh, just a, a funny, what I thought was a cute fake it till you make it story in our own family. I have permission from my son to share this. And I just learned this past week because he called our family to celebrate with him. He actually took us to, made us pause and say, guys, I have good news. I can snap now, <laughs> right? And it took him 14 years to figure out how to actually make a, a noise with his fingers. And then he had more backstory to it. It's like, guys, you don't know how burdensome this has been. Like all through school, during music, and when the teacher called us to snap, I just smiled and pretended and started snapping after other people started snapping and just kind of went along with it. But I couldn't do it all these years. And he was so happy that he could finally make a real sound with his finger. So he was faking it until he made it as a snapper. Now, sure, that, that's kind of a positive example. Now, I want to kind of flip that and turn it on its head and say as Christians, though, and specifically with prayer, you don't need to fake prayer. More broadly, and even just with a pastoral heart, please never believe that you have to fake being a Christian. And here at Trinity Grace Church, at least, we want this place to be where Christ and His grace uh, reign supreme. <clears throat> Excuse me. And from, from pastor to a person in the congregation, from whatever, just young to old, that we come honest and true, sincere, and that there's grace for all of us to keep growing and maturing even as we stumble along and to be lifted by God's grace in Christ. So you don't have to fake being a Christian, and specifically, you don't need to fake being able to have prayer figured out. Now I say that because, and, and more now in the broader encouragement, followers, followers of Jesus, we learn to pray. Okay, So you don't have to fake it. Now, I say that because I've been in pastoral ministry long enough that a lot of people feel challenged in praying. Whether for sure to pray in public, uh, for sure praying, doing a congregational prayer like Zach just blessed us with this morning, uh, maybe even in your own small group, 
maybe uh, just with a friend still, it's, it's challenging to pray. And no less, even in your personal relationship with God. How many, just a rhetorical question, you don't have to raise hands or anything, but how many of us could say in this exact moment that we have a rich prayer life in our relationship with God? And so please, I want to just quell any sense of, of uncalled for guilt or shame. You don't have to fake being a Christian that way. You don't have to fake uh, knowing how to pray because even Jesus' disciples took time to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. They needed to learn how to pray. And so as an introduction, I want you to first catch the point that you can learn to pray. And Paul is going to teach us we, we, I think we're meant to learn from Paul's writing today how to pray. Now, prayer is very important, nevertheless, and we need to learn to pray because, as I like to say, prayer is where the rubber of faith meets the road of life. Of course, Christianity, true Christianity, and following Jesus uh, has to translate into service and actions, our speech and conduct for certain but prayer itself is, is, I think, where it all begins. Because prayer is what bridges uh, uh, faith, looking to God, believing in the supernatural, believing that there's the Holy Spirit, that these scriptures are real, believing in heaven and the new creation after this life, meaning there's faith up there, and then there's real life down here, and prayer is what begins to bridge those two worlds together. Because as we begin to depend on God, to cry out to Him from our own heart, with our own words, looking to Scripture to know how to pray, but having a heart seeking God, that's when the rubber of faith begins to meet the road of life, prayer. If I had to define prayer simply, my attempt at a definition, prayer is talking to God from your heart with a willingness for His will. And I'm deriving that definition of prayer from Jesus in one of His most prayerful moments uh, in the garden before He was headed off to be crucified. Because we see in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus' simple but gut-wrenching, heart-outpouring prayer, My Father... And so there's such personal intimacy there. And now Jesus expresses his heart. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup of suffering, the cup of taking on God's wrath on the cross in our stead. There's Jesus pouring out his heart. That, this is mind-blowing. That Jesus is expressing transparently, honestly, if possible, that I don't have to go to the cross. But then how does Jesus finish his prayer? a willingness for God's will, a willingness to bend His will, to submit His will, to defer to His Father's will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If you look through the Psalms, which are, I believe, were the prayers of Jesus, the songs of Jesus that even informed and shaped His prayer life, and, and for certain, therefore, uh, expanding out the prayers of God's people, and they're still prayers for you and me today as His church. You look through there, you'll see this theme as well, consistent. Talking to God from the heart, but with a willingness for God's will. 
And so prayer really brings to surface and is like a litmus test for your lens on life. It really shows what's going on in terms of the tree of faith, which is your, your, your being, your roots and your fruits. And, and prayer reveals what story that you're really trying to have written in your life. What comes from your heart. And at the end, if the punctuation is a willingness for God's will, then, then it, it, it indicates that you want the gospel story, God's redemptive story, uh, to unfold in your life. So this is why I'm trying to appeal to you why, why prayer is, is so important. And even as we'll talk a bit more of the why in a moment. And so again, to kind of put it another way, followers of Jesus not only learn to pray, but what we're going to see from Paul is that prayer is a very important part of this lifelong spiritual battle. So therefore we could say Followers of Jesus learn not just to pray, but we're actually learning to fight through prayer against Satan. As Paul made it amply clear, and a few weeks ago, uh, Matt Wilkes brought it out very well, that our fight is against, not against flesh and blood, but against basically Satan and his work in this world. So we fight and we learn. This is something you can learn, just as uh, a, a boxer can train to become a better fighter. You can learn to fight through prayer against Satan and let's have the clear default starting place. Our fight is not with fists or fits of rage and anger against people. That's, might, that might be the stage through which it's working out, but our real fight is a prayer fight against Satan. And so again, to put it another way, the Christ-following life is a spiritual battle until he calls us home, meaning the Christ-following life is a praying life. The Christ-following life is a praying life until he calls us home. So there's grace, there's grace. Maybe you're in a season right now where your prayer life is a desert. Receive God's grace. And just even today, just have a change in heart have a willingness to say, Lord, okay, yes, my prayer life and my seeking of you, it's been weary, it's been dry, but from this Sunday forward, let's, Lord, I need your grace again to, to start praying again. And for those of us who are praying well these days, stay humble and just continue to learn to pray, to make your life a praying life even as it is a fighting life, a spiritually fighting life, until he calls you home. So my prayer, and, and, and this is, again, another motivation why I like to just kind of give you a picture of where we're headed, each sermon, as a summary uh, in the form of a prayer. And I think what we should glean from Paul's uh, teaching today is, Lord, help me to stand firm. Stand firm as a prayer warrior as a prayer warrior. That's part of your Christian identity. As a son and daughter in Christ, that is one of your, by definition, uh, your roles, uh, what you're called to, who you are. Help me to stand firm as a prayer warrior. So again, I know I've been already answering this question a bit in the introduction, but why? Let's go deeper into it. Why? Why do I pray? 
So let's backtrack a little bit to verse 14. And as Paul is teaching about the reality, this lens in life that Christ followers see themselves engaged in the spiritual battle until he calls us home, he goes, stand, therefore, meaning be stable, be unmovable. And what I want you to see here, uh, I hope you can appreciate this, and there's some even logic to how Paul is writing here. Stand is, is a command, it's an imperative, and it's, it's the main verb. It's what he wants us to uh, catch his main thought here in this paragraph, we're to stand firm, we're to be stable and, and just in ready position like a, an athlete or a soldier. And all these other having fastened on, having put on, having put on, and uh, so all these pieces of spiritual armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, shoes for your feet, which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace, these all describe the main command to stand firm. So how will we stand firm? First, why do we pray? Because I want to show you that it's a part of standing firm. That's how we're going to be stable in our Christian life as we pour out our hearts whatever day you're having from the lowest of your, your lows to the highest of your highs that you are seeking God. And then all these are descriptions. The armor is description of how you will actually stand firm. And so when Paul continues on here, now the English translation, they end the sentence here, uh, having you know, readiness given by the gospel of peace, period. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In the English, this seems like another new main verb, a main command, take up. But I discovered this week that this is actually, uh, it's the same in the English called a participle. And this actually should still be a continuing sentence. So what it should look like is stand, therefore, be stable, be alert, therefore having and fastened on all these pieces of armor. And what it actually says in the Greek is, it continues the sentence, in all circumstances also taking up the shield of faith. And so the shield of faith is also describing how you'll stand firm. Hope you're able to understand that and, and track with me there and it's I want you to understand that because now as we come to the teaching on prayer now in verse 17 when Paul says and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit this is correct it's a main verb take up he's starting a new command here a new imperative it's the main verb and so as he instructs us he commands us take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit which is the Word of God, and then this praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, it describes how we're to take up the helmet of salvation and to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the point is, we're asking the question, why? Why do we pray? First, how we're going to actually wield the sword of the Spirit, how we actually use the sword of the Spirit, Paul here, he wants us to see, and his readers would have understood, that the way we actually use the sword of the Spirit is through prayer. We're to learn to pray Scripture. We're to learn to pray the Word of God. When you are feeling anxious, that there are one or two key verses that, that you've hidden in your heart and you can uh, call upon, and they become a solid, confident cry out to God based on His Word. And that helps you to stand firm. 
when there's someone in your life that is giving you trouble, that you have scriptures to pray about those relationships and that people and that circumstance. And we could go on and on and on. The point is the way we are going to take up our helmet of salvation to have a worldview, to have a thinking life, to have our, our thoughts guarded by this notion that God is saving us and the way that we will wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is through prayer. Through prayer. And so Paul says, to that end, to that end, meaning taking up this whole notion of spiritual battle, to that end, the goal is to be standing firm, to be stable, and therefore, why do we pray? To be able to, this is how we actually fight our spiritual fight, through prayer. See, prayer brings all the armor together. Prayer brings all the, other, uh, all the armor together. And so uh, one commentator, he goes on to say, yes, if we're going to be really precise, first this praying describes how we use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's through prayer. But this praying at all times, you can make a strong argument that it describes also going back to standing firm. And therefore, it's a part of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, all these things, the way we actually practically in real everyday life put on this armor is through prayer. Through prayer. And so Paul says uh, earlier in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the spirit present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This word wrestle, it means hand-to-hand combat. You know, I know uh, MMA sometimes is a a controversial sport, Uh, but just imagine like two people getting that close and hand-to-hand that you can even taste, you know, the sweat and blood of, of your opponent. Like that's how close you're getting. That's how engaged you are becoming in this combat. And this is the kind of uh, vibe that, that Paul wants us, that the church to have when it comes to prayer. This is how intricately we're supposed to be engaged. Through prayer. So it's through prayer that all this other armor is actually played out. And so we wrestle through prayer. Now, let's answer the question, what? What do I pray? Because I think Paul, um, he leaves some practical uh, you know, instruction and, 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 and advice uh, just how we can pray. And, and so more concretely, what? What do I pray? If you're ever lacking for, and, and just wondering, yeah, I don't know what to say. Hopefully uh, answering this question will help you. So we see Paul here. What do I pray? And the most direct answer, and I've already mentioned this, but it's worth repeating. The most direct answer is the Word of God. Okay? Because what's most clear and simple and plain from the reading is that this praying describes how we're supposed to take up the helmet of salvation and especially the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The most direct answer, what do you pray? Pray Scripture. Pray Scripture. 
I almost want to say uh, with 100% confidence, you can't go wrong. But I know I have to qualify that because certainly we can twist Scripture. Uh, we can misinterpret Scripture. But certainly it's the best place to start. I think what is both uh, helpful and unhelpful in the times that we live in is that there's a heightened, uh, just a sort of a re-awareness to spirituality. From yoga to mindfulness to on and on and on. Our culture is open to whatever they define as the spiritual. And so there's an inroad for us as Christ followers to talk about prayer. And hopefully you have the confidence and the humility to share just uh, very concretely about your prayer life and your spirituality. But the unhelpfulness is that we can, you know, everyone's cool with, okay, all right, that's your God, that's, that's your idea, or if it's just love, and, and as long as there's just some warm, positive vibes, then, then it's acceptable. That's unhelpful to us in our witness because what we believe is, no, we can't just pray based on our feelings and our idea of who God is. Paul here, in agreement with the whole council of Scripture, is saying the way we will pray, even Jesus himself, the way he fought his spiritual fight, his interaction with Satan in the wilderness, even quoting Scripture, was a kind of prayer from Jesus. And so we see that the Word of God needs to be our content, needs to be how we pray, I think that's why God leaves us 150 psalms. In some sense, him compassionately, uh, caringly saying, I know you're going to need help to pray. And I can testify, even as a, a pastor, uh, who's supposed to, by definition, you know, be more spiritually mature, etc. Um, the psalms, I have fallen back on the psalms countless times because I just don't know what to pray. I don't feel motivated to pray. And so how helpful it's been just to open up to the Psalms and just to try to put myself into those words and the heart cry of that psalmist. And somehow the Spirit wonderfully in that moment just awakening my heart and bringing a connection, a sense of real connection between God and me in that moment. Many of us then, to kind of put a little bit, maybe, you know, a loving sting. Many of us don't know how to pray because we don't know the Scriptures. Many of us don't know how to pray because we don't know the Scriptures. And so put it positively, redemptively, I encourage you to keep reading your Bible, finding promises in Scripture, little verses that, that speak to where you're at in life, and use that as prayer. So let's remember, what's helpful is to remember the real life context of our spiritual battle. Paul, he's brilliant, and he also is very abstract. That's part of his brilliance, so he just naturally speaks in a lot of metaphors. And, and so this spiritual armor, for sure, is a, it's a uh, brilliant metaphor. But what does this metaphor mean very practically in everyday life. And so the, the real life context of spiritual battle, even if we just look to Ephesians alone, 
And so I'm trying to give you uh, an example of how to use Scripture for your prayers. Um, and if we look to Ephesians alone, just this letter of Ephesians alone, you could summarize Ephesians very simply. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 are beautiful explanations about what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Okay? And so if you read through those chapters, there's so much rich content there for you to pray. I, I got saved through Ephesians 1. The, the verse that, and the Father in His love has predestined you to be His child and given you the deposit of His Holy Spirit. And, and so just that verse alone, that God is Father and He sees me as a child, that just ripped into my heart and, and just exploded my mind open. And, and I just knew in that moment, at that point in my life, and it was exactly what I needed, that God loves me in Scripture. And, and I've come back to that verse again and again, this chapter again and again, when I'm feeling doubtful of, of my sonship. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 to chapter 6, verse 9, it's all about our identity uh, as the church and our relationships in the church. Okay? You could summarize that Paul is going on for three chapters about your identity as the church. Not just an individual believer, but as a family. And in there, there's so much about how to relate to one another. How to you know, deal with the anger in your heart. How to have humility. How to forgive. How to be gracious. All about your relationships within the church, within your families. And your identity, not just as an individual, but as something bigger than yourself. This is the context, because what, what does the enemy try to do? He tries to get you to doubt. He's successful if he prevents someone from seeing themselves as created by God, seeing themselves in need of grace and forgiveness. If the enemy can prevent that, he's won. And so the real-life context of spiritual battle is, is to break out of this world system of performance, which is ironically the way God has created the universe, to perform. But that's sabotaged and broken because of sin. And so the real-life context is praying that people would understand their need for grace through faith, that people would understand their identity beyond their own story and defining their own truth, but to see themselves in the story of Christ in this church and how to do relationship with one another, with God's grace. And of course, this last part of Ephesians, Paul makes it very clear, amply clear, that how we need to see life, therefore, is a spiritual battle. This is the real life context, that there is an enemy who's trying to muddy up clarity in these at least in Ephesians, these first two very important themes. To paraphrase it and put it another way then, the real life context of our spiritual battle is first your identity in Jesus Christ and relationship with Him. When do you feel down? When do you feel attacked? When do you feel doubtful and discouraged? It, it's when guilt and shame come back to to cause you to wonder, am I still loved? Am I, does God forgive me even when? The enemy will certainly 
seek to throw darts and to weaken your identity in Christ and your relationship with him. When is life a battle? When your relationships are at odds, when your relationships are strained, when there's misunderstanding. And so the enemy certainly will seek to attack your identity as not only an individual child of God, but as Christ's church. And, and that's why just church history is sadly riddled with stories and stories of church splits and misunderstandings and so forth, because if you can divide, you conquer. The enemy knows that. And there's real-life battle in terms of our identity in the world as Christ followers, as the church, and our mission to the world. Rhetorical question. Rhetorical question. How many of you are on fire right now? You have a clear sense of mission in this world. Or, on the other end, as I ask that question, man, I've, I've kind of fallen asleep. Or I, I'm just... I'm honest, I've, I've, I've been trying to just live for my own comfort. I'm trying to protect myself and so forth. We're all somewhere in that spectrum. But the point is, there's a reason why, you, if you find yourself more apathetic, there's a reason why. It's a spiritual battle. The enemy's trying to get us to that place. So Satan and his forces... They fight to capture our thoughts, our affections, and our will, our our decision-making in regards to first God, who we know of God, what we believe of Him, ourselves, how we see ourselves. and we We need to see ourselves through God's eyes, through Christ's eyes, through the gospel, the purpose of this life, and the next life. So what do I pray? First, I want you to see clearly from Paul, that's why we need to know Scripture. Because we're to pray Scripture. And why Scripture? Because Scripture keeps us on point. Scripture keeps us on point as to who God is, who we are in Him, in Christ, the purpose of this life and the next life. I want to also just give you one more what do I pray answer. And we'll just go to our Lord Himself. When the disciples asked Him, teach us how to pray. This was his, his answer for all the ages. The Lord's Prayer. And so here, to just draw out themes of what you can pray for, the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful template. It, it's great as a prayer on its own. There as well, if you're ever lacking for words to pray, motivation to pray, just from your heart, just scrounge up, just squeeze out as much sincerity, just like that last bit of toothpaste You know, in the tube, just squeeze out as much sincerity as you can. I'm not asking you to fake it. But just begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. It it stands on its own as a prayer, but it also serves as a beautiful template, a springboard into grander themes um, to pray for. So, our Father in Heaven is all about your sonship. You being a beloved son and daughter in Christ. Resting in His unconditional love for you in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer brings out God-centeredness. We focus on God. Holy is your name. All His attributes. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done. Parents, just throwing this out there. 
my morning drives um, with my daughter uh, to school. Just here and there I'd ask, so what, what, what do you love about God this week? You, you have to, not what he's done, because it's easy for kids. Oh, I, I thank God that, you know, uh, he gave me my birthday present that I was wishing for, <laughs> right? Let's put that aside. No, who he is. I want you to try to think about who he is and, and, and what you've experienced of who he is. So God-centeredness. But God-centeredness also referring to that he is sovereign. He is still king, even in this period of history where he's allowing kings and kingdoms of the earth still to uh, do their thing. But above it all, whether we recognize it or not, acknowledge it or not, he is still king of all kings. He's sovereign. So let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's not only speaking to uh, physical sustenance, but every need, intellectual, emotional, physical. But the point being dependence. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to express dependence on God, a humble dependence through prayer. Forgiveness. Jesus, of all the themes He could include, He makes this right smack in the middle of the prayer. Forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, meaning beginning with us. It needs to start with our humility, our acknowledging before God that we're in need of His grace. Searching our own hearts first. Taking the plank out of our own eye before we seek to take the speck of dust out of another's. And Jesus, right in agreement with Paul, or probably it's the other way around, Paul, a disciple of Christ, understanding Jesus, emphasizing the spiritual battle, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the Lord's Prayer ends with hope, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Hope. So hopefully that's helpful for what to pray for. The Scriptures. And the Lord's Prayer, which is in Scripture. So it just feeds into each other there. Now when? When do I pray? Paul gets very specific. Praying at all times. Remember, this is describing the main imperatives here to stand firm. How are we going to stand firm? Through the armor of God, but how do we actually live out and express and use the armor of God? Through prayer. And prayer describes that main imperative to stand firm and to take up, take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But, Paul says, praying at all times. Now, this is possible practically because Christ followers, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're indwelt. When you placed your faith in Jesus, the Spirit, He came to dwell inside you. I can remember many times where I've been stirred awake in the middle of the night. And sometimes there's that breakthrough where you just know why you're stirred awake. It's not because you, know, you need to go to the bathroom or whatnot. Just something's on your heart. I've heard countless testimonies of brothers and sisters in Christ where I just woke up and then you're on my mind and so I just started praying for you. See, the Spirit indwells us and, and the reason why we can be praying first at all times, even when we're sleeping, is because the Spirit speaks to our spirit. Romans 8 says it very clearly. 
that even when we don't know what to pray, that Spirit can even put moans and groans. Moans and groans. How comforting is that? I want that to be a pastoral comfort for you when you are in the privacy of whatever your closet is. You know, figuratively speaking, Jesus tells us to go and pray in our closets so that that private space, wherever that may be, doesn't have to literally be a closet. Just see the point of Jesus' teaching there. But in that private space that you could even just moan and groan. Perhaps all you can do is cry and sob. Perhaps all you can do is just shout in victory and joy. You don't need eloquent words per se. But the point being, because it's the Spirit that is in you that is speaking to your spirit. And so this is why the Spirit doesn't go to sleep when we're sleeping. And that's why, for example, I do believe sometimes there are testimonies of people even being woken up in the middle of the night. But the point being, Paul's point being, that our attitude is, is to continually have this sense of connection and dependence on the Lord. To know that the Spirit indwells us. And so what some people might call intuition, it's not necessarily intuition, but you feel something deep in your gut that just moves you. For us as Christ followers, it's the Spirit. And I dare say even for our friends who have not placed faith in Christ yet, what you might call intuition perhaps is the Spirit trying to call out to your spirit and to guide you to see more of who Jesus is. So how do I pray? When do I pray? At all times? What do I pray? The Scriptures? How do I pray? So Paul continues praying at all times in the Spirit. The Bible teaches us as Christ followers that the, the, if you had to kind of break it down into steps to realize that God indwells you by His Spirit. And therefore, in the Spirit, to have this dependence, even this attitude, Lord, what do you want me to pray? Is there someone you want me to pray for? But depending on the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, and here's more the how, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. Keep alert. And so here's the battle aspect. Following Christ certainly is a battle till He calls us home. It's a fight. Again, rhetorical question. How many of you here love to exercise? If you raised your hand, it'd be the minority. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> right? And most of us just get tired seeing other people <laughs> exercise, right? It's not natural to us. And no different, no less in the spiritual battle, the spiritual exercise. And prayer is how we most practically um, fight this fight. And that's why Jesus, in the garden, he says to his three innermost, could you not even stay awake with me for one hour? It, it, it is a discipline. Prayer is work in that sense. But nevertheless, we're called to this attitude to keep alert and with all perseverance, to take the grace that God gives us, as Paul says, that his grace would not be without effect. And making supplication. So certainly there is a place to ask God. The child, in some sense, has it right. The childlike heart. To ask. 
Of course, we don't want to just focus on asking because the slippery slope to that is to begin to just see God as a, a vending machine, a genie, someone to serve our needs. But nevertheless, the invitation is there. As we first, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, again, is a wonderful, uh, helpful template. We focus on God first, His love for us, our sonship in Him, His centering on Him, His kingdom. And then, even to depend on Him. Give us this day. That's a supplication. So who? Who does Paul want us to pray for? Paul gets very specific here. And I think we're to pick up on this and to, to have this, to, to try to have this as a, a, a daily outlook. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So even in Paul's instruction, there's an other-centeredness first. Not a me-centeredness first, but thinking of all those around you. First, for the saints, the church. Why? Because the strength of the saints is the strength of the church. If the saints are following Christ earnestly, focused on their mission, standing firm, bold in their witness, then the church is strong. And so we're to pray for the saints. And Paul says, now he's not being self-centered here because he's not praying for himself. He's asking them as one of the saints to pray for him. But certainly here, Paul sets an example for us, a precedent. This is why I, I don't want you to be shy to share your prayer requests with those you can trust, right? Not people who use prayer as a gossip chain, <laughs> asking for prayer requests. And, and if some of us have that tendency, like let's search our hearts and let's stay away from that. But certainly Paul is setting an example here that we're to, to depend on God by depending on others' prayers. That words may be given to me, and now Paul gets specific for his own specific quest because he had a specific calling, but I think this applies to all of us. We're all to share the gospel, and this would be a good prayer request for all of us to be able to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which Paul was an ambassador in chains, literally in prison, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So who are you praying for these days? Um, I offer this image of two hands. Learned this when I was being discipled uh, during college uh, campus fellowship. And as a good starting place, um, just think of your five fingers, your two hands. One hand can represent uh, the saints, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. And to always have at least five people that you're thinking of. Uh, maybe a missionary, maybe someone in the church, maybe someone in your family, just five. And then five, on the other hand, people who don't know Christ yet. If we have friends here who haven't placed faith in Christ yet, all our cards are on the table. We want you to know Christ. We're praying for you. <laughs> okay? I hope you see that as an act of love. Uh, we can't force you. But this is helpful. This has been helpful for me. And I could tell you five and five right now. Now to hopefully encourage you as we end, this screenshot, I know you can't make it out, but if you'll just trust me, 
this is a slide deck. And all these slides are our Saturday morning prayer journal. Uh, at some point we started just typing out prayer requests. And I can tell you, this represents approximately a year, almost 50, uh, two weeks or so. And those of us at Saturday morning prayer have had a front row seat to seeing prayers being answered in real time. Even some supernatural. Some just what might feel mundane. But certainly prayers for the saints. Prayers for people who are sick. Prayer for people to come to faith. Prayer. Could go on and on and on. God is real. God loves. He calls us to pray according to his will in his son's name. He uses our prayers. He answers prayers in his perfect way, in his perfect timing. And so I hope you are encouraged today. That you, you would, wherever you're at in your prayer life, that's something that the Spirit would be Stirring something. I want to keep praying. I want to keep praying. I want to live out and by God's grace fight this good fight until he calls me home and specifically through prayer. Through prayer. So if it's in your heart, perhaps the Spirit is stirring something, would you pray this prayer with me as we read it? That it could come from your heart. Lord, help me to stand firm as a prayer warrior. 